Jen, are you sheltering in place? <laughs> you know what I was thinking? Because you had that really, like, really funny tweet about um, if we're all like sheltering in place, are we just going to read romances? I mean, it's sort of my dream. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I've been prepping for pandemic for my whole life. <laughs> my whole life. I'm going to say something and, I, you know, I'm sorry it sounds mean and I don't mean it to be, but last... <laughs> Last year in March, I, I, if you'll remember, I had this pledge that I was going to try and read all the Rita books. And I did, in fact, really read the Rita books. My God. I, did I ever? Where is Jen's fruit basket, RWA? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> those bitches. Anyway, I had, and it was, oh, a lot of it was over my spring break. Like I have two weeks off from school at, from like the last two weeks of March. And this year I was like... I can read whatever the hell I want. Mm-hmm. Pandemic reading. You know what you might have? What? Daring and the Duke. <gasps> Pre-order now. <laughs> Pre-order now. Mm. You know what I told Sarah today, everybody, because we were talking about, like, arcs we want, like, advanced reading copies, and we are both real thirsty for the new Kristen Callahan book. Kristen Callahan, where's my book? And the new Tessa <laughs> Bailey book. Tessa Bailey, where's my book? In your email, actually. <laughs> she emailed us this afternoon. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so ashamed of myself, but I really want these things. And then I was confessing to Sarah and Kate that I don't ever ask people for, like, advanced reading copies, even Sarah. It's true. I just don't. Sometimes I like to send Jen, like, a screenshot of a sentence I wrote and be like, look how great I am. I try to be really supportive, but I also want to be like, feel free to send me the 50,000 words before and after that sentence if I'm here for you. Um, yes. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Faded Mates. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Prokop, Kirkus romance correspondent, all-around troublemaker, owner of cats. <laughs> I am Sarah McLean. I'm back on my bullshit. <laughs> uh, and we are not sheltering in place, but we are, like, coronavirus aware over oh, here. Oh, that's a nice way to say it. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, we don't know. We don't, nobody knows anything. Mike Pence is in charge, so I'm not <laughs> expecting anyone to ever know anything. Because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't believe in science. And no. <laughs> so that's happening. I'm going to make the following observation. You know how, like, daddy's kind of sexy now? You know what's never going to be sexy? Mother. And it's really <laughs> all because of Mike Pence. So never. Gross. So gross. No, it's not just because of Mike it's Pence. It's entirely all of it. Mother is never, would never have been sexy. Ever. Henry Cavill as the Witcher could call Yennefer mother, and it would not be sexy. No, it would just, like, die right on the vine, just like that. Well, oh, no. Sorry. I don't know what the palate cleanser for that is. Maybe nothing. So, uh, anyway, we are recording a interstitial this week, Jen. Yes. Tell our listeners what we're doing. And also me. <laughs> you guys, this is like Sarah and Jen unleashed or something. I'm not even sure. I'm a little bit, I think I'm a little bit high just on like pandemic crazy because... <laughs> I went to the wine store today, and the guy was like, hey, how are you? And I was like, great, I'm here for my pandemic wine. <laughs> and I'm, like, making a lot of jokes. But I figure, here's my thing. I live in New York City. I've lived in New York City since 2001. Like, I lived in New, in New York City during the September 11th attack. Like, for me, 
this just has to be fun because right there's no other way to do it i work at a school and my husband works at a hospital like look (laughs) wash your hands don't touch your face that's all we got (laughs) don't touch your face holes I'm just saying, wash your hands, fam, before you put your nasty thumbs in the underpants, fam. Uh, yeah. And so anyway, we here's here's what we're doing, Sarah. We got a great tweet from, I forgot the person. I'll have to look it up. We're kind of like, I like walked in my house and we're recording, so I didn't do all my prep work. Not that we really ever do that much. The prep work has been gone going for 25 years. I have to interject because um, (laughs) my daughter just walked into my office with this sign she made. Does it say pandemic? Wash your hands. No, it says, (laughs) um, do you want to do you want to tell her what it says? Come and say Come and say it into the microphone. This might be her first visit to the podcast. To the podcast. We'll see if her dad leaves it in. Okay. Say, Say it. What does it say? Women should be treated fairly. Oh, girl, yes. Yes. Jen says she totally agrees. And this is a great sign. I love it. Can I put it up in my office? Awesome. I'll come see you in a bit, okay? I'll put it in first. Okay. You put it up. All right. Women should be treated fairly, Jen. Say more. Well, we had someone send us a tweet And they said, have you ever done like women's friendship and how women work together in romance or anything of that nature? And I'm Mm -hmm. paraphrasing because I didn't pull down the exact tweet. And it said something about like and how it how it's related to patriarchy. And I was like, no, we haven't. What the hell am I thinking? But we we should. So I was like, you know what? This is an amazing idea. Let's absolutely do this. Lady romances. Girl gangs and romance. Girl gangs and romance. Exactly. And it's on brand for you because that's certainly related to your upcoming book. If you try to shut us down, we'll show you just how we get down. And just to even up the score, we're coming kicking down your door. I love a girl gang. I love a girl gang. So here's my thing. I think... And somebody's going to send us a a tweet about it because I'm sure I'm wrong. But generally, I'm going to say generally, for many, many years in early romance, women were islands. We saw we are about next week. We're doing Devil's Bride. And like, God knows the Sinster brothers or cousins or men. (laughs) There are just so many of them. Like, we love them because they are. Because they are men who, like, our brotherhood. It's a brotherhood of men, right? And we have talked so much on this show about um, brotherhoods of men, about, like, the Black Dagger Brotherhood and how IED works as, like, the groups of men and how they all interact with each other. And then when you think about sort of the big romance series, often they're connected by men, especially in those early days. And heroines were always alone. So, like, you think about we're going to do Judith McNaught eventually, or we, you know, we talk a lot about Julie Garwood. Gentle Rogue was just Georgiana. Yeah. A girl alone in the world. Maybe, like, in Georgiana's case, she had, like, a couple of men who she knew. And she had all those brothers, but she didn't have any women. So I would say that in those early days, like, all that, it really did feel like her against the world. Like, any of us against the world. And... Now, in kind of the last, I would think, 10 to 15 years, 
I mean, maybe even longer, because maybe we maybe we can point to Bridgerton's and say, like, you know, Bridgerton's had all those women working together. Then and then there's the Wallflower series. So like maybe twenty, maybe twenty years. To me, it was more Wallflowers probably than Bridgertons. If we're looking at historicals, to me, when I think of the Bridgertons, I I often still think of Anthony and Benedict and Colin. I mean, I guess Penelope, Penelope and her sisters. Well, Penelope becomes she's such an important friend. I'm not suggesting that Penelope was the first female friend. Like, I'm just saying, I think she was an important friend, but the Wallflowers felt like a series that was connected by women and, like, was really female forward in that way. I found the exact tweet. So let me read it. And it was Mary Ann Harlan. And she Hi, said, Marianne. Do you have an episode on how female friendships and romance disrupt the patriarchy or even just how female friendships work in a good way in romance? And I feel like this is something we've talked about throughout because, of course, the Valkyries and the witches. Like, I was really thinking, like, well, we've never really explicitly talked about it because it's all we talked about. And um, so I think it's really interesting to return to it in season two and really think about it more explicitly, I guess, in this interstitial. Yeah. And also in a way that I want to sort of separate out sisters from friends mm-hmm. because I do think we see a lot of sisters but I think that's different in some way. I think that's sort of like, I don't know how different, but it's different. Before we get started, though, I really am interested in hearing you talk about Daring and the Duke, because <laughs> one of the things I'm really excited about is mm-hmm. Grace and her her lieutenants. Yeah, her lieutenants. I want to think for a second because I don't want to spoil too much. But so we all know Grace runs a club, which is for women. It's a sex club. Largely, it's a bordello. It's presented in the first book as a bordello. Then it becomes a little more complicated in the second book. But there are men who work and women who work in the club for sexual pleasure. But there's a lot of other stuff that happens in this club, too, just like this this experience happens in men's clubs. So the space of Daring and the Duke is very much about um, women's fantasies, women's power, and women's pleasure, much like romance novels. And Grace has a group of women, two of whom are kind of essential to the operation, who are her lieutenants, but also her friends, who kind of understand her in a way that her brothers maybe don't understand her, and who also deeply respect her and kind of come at Grace from a perspective of equals. And this is friendship versus siblinghood, right? They don't have a past with Grace. I mean, they have a past with Grace as the owner of this club, but they don't have a past with Grace that goes beyond that. And so for them, their relationship with Grace is very much about Grace as a grown-up rather than Grace as a child. And I really loved writing this because they've worked with Grace long enough that that there is a they have a like a powerful working relationship. They have a powerful friendship. They understand each other. They all have their own roles to play within the context of the book. And um, those roles are incredible. It's competence porn too. all. Of, they just trust each other to do it right. And I think that that's a thing that comes as you are grownups and friends. Like you and I are friends. We have a relationship where we do it. We do this thing every week and you and I trust each other to to do our part of the thing with ease and with skill and without question. I think the power dynamics 
are just really different in friendship because I was like, oh, there's like lesbian romances that are sort of friends to lovers. But I don't really think that's like what the question is. No, I, I felt like the question is about the secondary relationships, not the primary relationship. Yeah. And so the power dynamics are also just like really different in a friendship and they're different in friendships that are like newer versus older. And I and I think that's like also something I'm I'm just really interested in in general, because I mean, I'm really looking forward to like Grace's story because you can just tell like her power kind of radiates off of her every time she was on the page in the first two books. It was like this electrifying moment for me. I was like, this is the story I want. And one of the things like you were talking about, like her siblings versus her friends now is when you meet people who knew as an adult, it's different than when you knew people as a child. Like, so Kelly and I have been best friends since we were 11. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. <laughs> so that's almost like a sibling relationship. Yes. Kelly is my sister. I mean, my best friend in the world, it's a similar, I mean, we weren't 11, but we met the first day of college. So I can tell that we are gonna be friends. You've been through some things, right? It's just a different, yeah, like we're, it's not, it's it's weird even calling her like my best friend because it's like, she's so much, it's a weird, unknown relationship. And what's weird, Jen, is I actually think what I came to realize, this is sort of a tangent and not about romance novels, but when I came to my grown up life where I live, you know, we live in separate cities. I mean, you and Kelly still live in the same city, but We live in in separate cities. Like we talk to each other, you really like almost every day. But you know, it's a very different experience. Um, When I met friends here, like new friends, grown up friends, and they learn that I have this person who I've been best friends with for more than twenty years, and who like literally knows everything about me, and who is basically my sister. argue the way sisters argue and we know it we like pick at each other the way sisters pick at each other sometimes and like I I was shocked by how many women I met who were like that's not a relationship I understand like I didn't know that that existed outside of movies and I don't know if you've had that same experience we definitely have and one of the things like it manifests itself in this really funny way which is when you're kids you often you have a best friend That's not necessarily like language people use a lot, but I routinely, I mean, that's like her handle is like best friend Kelly. I refer to her as my best friend. It's hard to like shake that loose because we have, that's who she is to me. And I get like, but like if I met somebody now and we have definitely had people kind of be like, oh, she's your best friend. And we're like, fuck you. Yes, she is. Fight me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think part of it is the like, so definitely part of it is that like the longevity piece and like the vulnerability of someone who really like knows everything about you as opposed to having to choose what to reveal. I'm very interested in like women's power in relationships and yeah, the stories we tell about women. You know what worries me? And I think romance perpetuates this. And sometimes I think about it. I think about it a lot when I write a heroine who is alone. Who is an island? And I have written some heroines who are islands. 
Not many, but some. And one of the things that really worries me is this idea that you have one partner and that partner is your partner in all aspects of your life. And you have to like do everything together and be everything to each other. And like, there's no room for other space. And that's not a life I, that's not a life I grew up with, right? My, my mom had lots and lots of friends who were not my dad. And, um, and it's not a life I have in large part because I think of my relationship with my friend, Megan, who I met on my first day of college and also my, my experience at Smith, which is so much about sisterhood. So there's that. I'm, I always feel very uncomfortable when I meet people who like share email addresses with their husbands. If you are listening and you share an email address with your husband, like I'm not judging you. I just, it's such a foreign concept to me. And maybe that's because of my innate lack of trust of, you know, I don't know, men, but I just feel like I don't know how to process that as an, as an experience, like not because I worry, like, I don't worry that if Eric looked at my email, like there's nothing to hide in my email, but it feels like identity is so wrapped up in this. But I also didn't change my name when I got married. So like, I don't know who I am. I don't know if I'm normal or abnormal or what. And maybe I'm a little of both. Yeah. Well, I think all like, that's all of us. I don't think there is really any normal, but I think that anytime there's such a strong narrative about what normal is for women. Now, I think for us, it's like culturally, it's like for white women, we can only sort of talk to that, that about what that's supposed to look like. And then if you are different from that in any way, it feels like you have to apologize for people who are it if you're not it. It gets really yeah, confusing. It's complicated. And I just think what I'm trying to get at with this com with that sort of piece of it is this idea that I think romance often perpetuates this myth that we are, we must exist only in relationship to the heroine can only exist in relationship to the hero. And if she is not on the page with the hero and like, how many times have I said on this podcast, like no one wants to see the pages without the hero. What are we internalizing with that message of like, they're only the heroine only exists through the eyes of the hero. The hero only exists through the eyes of the heroine. And it's interesting because I'm like right now, like I'm going through um, a manuscript that I'm working on and I'm realizing like the hero doesn't really exist outside the eyes of the heroine. And I'm like, does it matter? It's flipping the whole system on its head in some way. So like, I'm a little less concerned about it, but at the same time, like this idea, I think when we put friendships on the page with men, we're showing men have feelings. But when we put friendships on the page with women, we're showing women have identity. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think here is a related struggle I'm having, which is I love romance. I it's all what I want to read. I don't it's, I mean, I read a lot of things, but one thing that I really don't enjoy is is like what we're calling women's fiction. And I've really been trying to like understand what it is. And part of it is, I think, the bait and switch of like, I thought it was a romance and I, it wasn't. But I think the other part of it is, I think women's fiction focuses on a kind of like midlife struggle that's about my marriage is breaking up and my children are going off to college. And now who am I? 
And I feel like I've been myself all along (laughs) and I'm constantly reinventing myself outside of the boundaries of like my relationship to my husband and my son. Like the stories just don't really speak to me. But here's the thing, Jen, like we and we I know we've had this conversation on a prior episode about like how women in the like (sighs) women in the world, their identity is so society tells a certain subset of white, sort of white cis het women, that their identity only exists vis-a-vis men. Or, I mean, maybe not het. Maybe we're still. T- I mean, like, I don't know. I can't speak to other identities, but I. But it feels like we are constantly saying to everyone, "You must exist as a pair, as a partnership." That, and so in that, in those moments, you sort of forget this idea that, or rather, when you say like, "Oh, I've always been myself," like I do think there are a lot of women who who do come to their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. In um, My mom doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can say this, but like my mom's in her 70s and my dad died two years ago. And I think she is just now coming to this idea. And this is a woman who had friends my whole life, but she's just now coming to this idea that like she can exist outside partnership, coupling rather. And that partnership can come in different ways. I don't mean it to sound unfair, right? Like every time I say something where I'm like, meh, I feel like all the stories that are like, quote unquote, women's fiction start from like, it's like deficit spending. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I don't really like to read books about something's wrong. I like to read books about something exciting and new is right. I want to talk about Kate Claiborne's love lettering because I think it's a really interesting model for this conversation, this sort of discussion of women and friends um because love lettering i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of spoil the plot of love lettering love lettering a little bit here um so you know skip ahead i don't know three or four minutes if you don't want that lettering is a romance um but as part of the romance there is this very rich relationship between uh the heroine and two other women one is an old friend and who from high school and one is a new friend who she's sort of just making as she finds her sea legs in brooklyn and part of the reason why she's kind of making this new friend is because she's had a kind of breakup with the old friend. And this is one of those moments. I One of the things that really echoed and resonated in that book for me was the heroine's relationship with this old friend, because, you know, I had a I had a very, very, very dear friend for a very, very, very long time who, you know, I was in her wedding. She was in my wedding. Um, we, you know, we saw each other constantly. We talked every day and then we had a breakup. And like no one makes space for women's breakups. I mean, no one does. It's just it doesn't exist in the world. And like I what I loved about love lettering was that Kate kind of made this space to navigate the relationship of a breakup of a friendship that was really important to the heroine. And 
gave us space to kind of gave the heroine space to kind of like learn and grow and understand herself and, um, you know, the world around her through the lens of this breakup at the same time as she was finding that she's a new person, she's a grown up and she can make grown up friends. Also finding love in the balance. Like there's a lot of complexity going on in this book that sort of moves it outside of romance in some way because it's doing all these sort of all this really interesting work. But at the same time, like the relation, the relationship's hot and the like the hero's great. And, like there's a lot about it that's really wonderful in terms of the romance piece. I mean, this is because Kate is so talented and skilled that she can sort of she can spin all she can spin all these plates. When I think of like friendship in romance, I do think of the first series, right, with the three friends who win the lottery. Yes. So Kate's first series is the chance of a lifetime series. I was going to say the beginner's luck series, but that's the first book. And yeah, and I was I thought a lot about that series because I think in some ways it follows like a more classic romance and friendship arc, which is the three friends are kind of what tie the three romances together. But I also think it's like a really interesting challenge that she gives them Like, there's a way their friendship is going to change because they've won this money together. And so one of the things I do really also like is if some outside force is working on the friendship besides just, oh, we met new people. Because I feel like then that can very easily devolve into... You know, we I never see you anymore because you have this new boyfriend. I'm jealous of of your boyfriend. Yeah, and that's no fun. One of the things that I think is so interesting about that push-pull is that female friendship in romance novels is also happily ever after, often. I mean, like, I think about the friends that I have written in books. I, I think about—I wrote a book called A Scott in the Dark, and the heroine is is very alone. She's the most beautiful woman London has ever seen, and she is utterly alone. One of the things I played with and I was really eager to do in that book was to give her happily ever after with her with the hero, but also give her a network of of people to make her not alone anymore. And so I gave her the Talbot sisters who no one is alone around the Talbot sisters. (laughs) What's interesting is that that series, when you talk when people talk about that series, they talk about it as a series of sisters. But Lily is not related to the Talbots like she's not a sister. She is the heroine of that book and she becomes a piece of their family like they they consume her. And part of what I love about that and part of what kind of ran through my head the whole time, you know, my parents are European And like I said, I grew up and my mom had a lot of friends and they had a lot of friends. And part of the reason why is because they moved to America and they didn't have family. We had no, all of our family is on the other side of the pond. My mom used to say all the time, your friends are the family you choose. And that's what I think romance friendships are that. They are a type of family, but also a type of family that comes with less drama because they can be cut loose, right? Yeah. They don't share trauma. Because I was thinking about, right, like, so earlier you said, like, when we put men on the page with friends, it's to show their, like, sort of humanity. When we put women on the page, it's their identity. Another really interesting, like, dichotomy I was thinking about is if there is in a series with, like, a hero who, like, screws up, like, Devil in Winter, where he has done something terrible to the girlfriends. He tries to kidnap 
Lillian or whatever. And then Evie is like, I'm going to, this is the guy for me. Um, Often that hero gets redeemed later, but it's not that often. And the, where you get a friend doing you wrong and then that friend gets her book later. And the two where it really worked for me was Alyssa Cole has a princess in theory and then a duke by default. And in a princess in theory, we see Letty and her really close friendship. Oh, my God. I spaced on her name. Portia. Portia fucks up in a way that you're like, oh, you're dead to me. Because it's funny, I don't often necessarily feel like I'm the heroine of the romance, but I do feel part of the friendship of the heroine and her friends. That always happens. And so here I am, I'm on Team Letty. And then to find out that Portia gets her book next, there has to be a reckoning from Portia in A Duke by Default. Yes. Of what she has done to her friend. And and so then you're going into that book and you're like, wow, it's not just that Portia's going to like find a romance and fall in love, but she also has to like make restitution for what she did to Letty. And I think it's really interesting because Uh, People, Kate has told us that people want the Friends book from Love Lettering. And I'm all like, no, she's still in cold storage. I'm not. It's really interesting. (laughs) I didn't I didn't want that. Oh, no, no. They don't want that friend. They want the other friend. They want the the other friend, the celebrity friend. Yeah. And it's funny because I was like, wait, why? (laughs) One of the things and Kate knows this, so she's not I don't think going to be hurt by this is like if you wrong a main character in a book. It turns out my groveling needs are extensive. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I didn't and know that. And I was like, look, I'm sorry, but Sibby has not actually, I need a lot more groveling from her. I, I, that was hard for me because in a romance, I need more. I don't want to spend the whole episode talking about love lettering, but in the, in the case of love lettering, like Sibby and Meg are not destined for each other. And that is just how it is. And it's one of those moments where like, I think about, I think sometimes look, every friendship is different, just like every relationship is different. And again, we come back to me just being mad that we don't prioritize female friendship uh, in the same way as we prioritize other friendship, other relationships. Um, But like, I think all the time about that friend who I no longer am friends with. And we were so close and it was such an intense friendship that there was no half measure. There was no like, and now we're going to be acquaintances and like, you know, have lunch once every few months. Like it just, that's just not how it works. And sometimes we see each other and it's weird when we see each other. It feels super weird because she was my person. This is making me think of that, uh, the piece in the Times this week about um, the woman who found out that her ex-boyfriend is now dating Lady Gaga. <laughs> that was a great piece. It was. I, you sent it to me and I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this. And then I ended up really liking it a lot. Guys, we'll put it in show notes. It takes a really fantastic turn, but basically it's an essay by a woman who dated a guy for seven years. And then the morning after the Super Bowl, her like all her friends were like, oh my God, this guy you dated for seven years is now dating Lady Gaga. And she was like, how do you compare yourself to Lady Gaga? (laughs) I can't even imagine. I don't know why that made me think of it, but it did. Anyway, so I want to talk also about groups of women And how groups of women exist in romance novels, because I think 
you're more likely to find large groups of women in romance novels than you are to find like really tightly knit friendship circles. And the book that I always think of when I think about groups of women is Vanessa North's Roller Girls. I think we may have talked about it on like a sports romance. We've like mentioned it. It's I think one of those romances that's really important in so many ways that we'll just like mention it a lot. Yeah. So it's a um, it's a lesbian romance um, and the heroines uh, both are they're in roller derby. One of the heroines is a trans woman who um, is just kind of now real like she was in a, she was married to a woman and now they've divorced, but everything's cool and it's fine. And um, but now she lives in this house by herself and she sort of has to figure out how to be alone. Um, and her dishwasher goes on the fritz or something and she calls um, a plumber and the plumber turns out it turns up and it's um, the other heroine of the book and that heroine they sort of become friendly and it's, it's very friends to lovers. Um, there's it's sort of very low conflict, really just a lovely like friendship romance. The the second heroine is a role is in roller derby and basically says like, hey, you should do roller derby with us. And so she joins the roller derby team. And then the whole dynamic the the roller derby team becomes the dynamic of the book. And there are like the mean girls and the assholes and the like <laughs> nice girls and the like darlings and like and you have to prove yourself because you're the new one. Yeah. And like there's like a there the head of the roller derby, the captain of the team is um the new girlfriend's ex-girlfriend. And so there's like, a little bit of emotional drama going on. It's really a very fun book. It's, and I it really just scratched an itch for me because it reminded me of so much of Smith. This shit is a girl blind. This idea of like a large group of women kind of all living together and like being, I mean, they they don't live together, but like they're constantly together and kind of understanding the relationship between all these women. And Vanessa just nails it and she gets it so right. And there are there's such authenticity to the experience of being with that many women. And also this sort of sense of like, even when we don't care for each other, we're all in the same game. We're still all kind of on the same team, you know, like against patriarchy, maybe. I would like to believe that that is true, but it's 2020. So. I was going through like and kind of making lists and I have all these books on here. But before I talk about my next one, I want to mention one really interesting thing, thing that happened when I posted my like Galentine's Day article. I was sort of like, tell me about your favorite female friendships and romance. And a couple authors were like, I had a really hard time selling female friendship as being the thing that tied my books together. The unifying theme. Right. Rather than like men. And I was like, mm, that's garbage. But I believed them. It's not like I didn't believe them. It's like so interesting to me because it's like one of my favorite things. Well, and because arguably the Wallflower series is like one of the best love series of romance. The Valkyrie, Cressley Cole's Valkyries are beloved. And a lot of sisters, which we haven't really talked about yet, but Shelley Lawrenston is like a big everyone loves Shelley Lawrenston, right? She's there's so much humor and energy in her books. And I haven't actually read The Honey Badgers. I started, but it's 
clearly like not a starter series. Like she's really referring back to a lot of characters from previous series. But I did read her series, the first one of which is called The Unleashing. And it's also about some Valkyries, a different kind of Valkyrie than Cressley's Valkyries. And I love this book. I love this series, actually, because what happens essentially is at the moment of your death, you know, whoever head Valkyrie comes down and says, like, if you're willing to be a Valkyrie for me, you can come back to life and have these superpowers. I mean, yes, obviously. Hello. I don't understand. Who says no to that? (laughs) (laughs) And I think the heroine's name in this book is Kira or Kiara. Okay, sorry. I again, I'm like have titles, but you know how we are. And what happens is she essentially comes back and like wakes up and all of a sudden, Kara, sorry, and all of a sudden she is like living in this massive house in Los Angeles with all these women and she's like ex-military and she's like, what is going on? And her way of coping is to like get really organized. So she's like, okay, like I'm going to get my clipboards out. We're going to do this thing. And then all the other women are like, take that bitch's clipboards. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like this, it really, like the humor, I really, I really like this book a lot. And it's just like really like frenetic and the pacing's really fun and the humor is great. And I think like that whole series, there's three of them. Um, it's just really based on what happens when you're like tossed into a situation, not necessarily of your choosing. She didn't know what would come along with like signing up to be like the super Valkyrie. And there's another really funny part for all you dog people where she essentially (laughs) says, my dog has to come with me. So she, her dog also gets turned into like a super Valkyrie dog and fights. And she's always (laughs) looking for the dog and the dog's always like running. Shelly is so funny. Oh, God, yes. So funny. If you like funny paranormals, which, and there are not that many. There's not that many. And she is one of the very best. But that was like a series that really like stuck out to me as being about, you know, like, yes, it's like this great romance between her and, you know, this blacksmith for the Valkyries or whatever. But also just like when I think of this book, I really think of her getting used to this sisterhood and what a like a really fun book it is. So I loved I love that series a lot. And I know a lot of people love the whole Honey Badgers, but I would just say, like, look up and figure out what the pre series are. I think the pack series or something, because I tried reading the first Honey Badger book and was literally like, there's a lot of characters here. I don't know. And that can be a real impediment for me. But I've heard great things about it if you're a Shelley Lawrenston fan. I want to get back to this question of patriarchy, because <laughs> always. I think there is something here about I, the original question was how it disrupts the patriarchy. And I think it disrupts the patriarchy. And maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's why we don't like them as much. I don't know. But I think when you, anytime you take the heroine out of her island, you're establishing her as something more powerful because, and I think all the time about when I was a, um, when I wrote my first romance novel, I was at one of my earliest events, uh, talking about nine roles and somebody raised their hand and they were like, could Callie and Ralston like be happy without each other? And instantly I was like, well, Callie could be happy without Ralston for sure now. Like she's her, that whole book is her journey. And I think that's all my books are like the heroine's journey. 
but Ralston, probably not. But I think again, it's that sense of like, maybe this is part of what I, part of why I like historical so much, like opening the world to women and saying, there's more space. There's more, there are more people. You have a support network. Like if it all goes south with this alpha, <laughs> tell them to peace out and go and find your girlfriends. Yeah, I love it when the um, hero has to, like, try out with the girlfriends. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. <laughs> and I don't know that I have, like, a book necessarily off the top of my head that I think that happens in, but it's hang one on, of my favorites. On. I have one. I have one. It's a series. It's a serial that Farrah Roshan wrote with, oh, 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 with Phyllis Bourne and someone. Uh, hang on. <laughs> you keep talking. I'll get there. <laughs> but I do love that. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite tropes where they're real nervous about meeting like the friends. I like it when um, the heroine, when like the the friend pulls the if you hurt my friend, I'll kill I'll kill you moment. Don't you dare hurt her. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Don't laugh. She means it. I, I won't. Seriously, son. Don't hurt her. Okay, I'm not planning on hurting her. You better not be. I'm not. Hey, Ben. You best watch yourself. Why would any of you think I would hurt Leslie? You're all my friends, too. Like, it flips the whole script on the brother's best friend. You've been married to Eric for, like, far longer than I've known you, but I, like, legitimately am like, do I need to pull him aside and let him know that just in case? (laughs) I'm kidding, Eric. (laughs) Eric knows. Eric knows. He's like, I'm afraid of her. Okay, I want to hear. Did you find it? Uh, Yeah. Okay, so it's called the series is called The Winter Sage Weddings, um, and it's three books, but it's a serial. Kamani did it. I don't even know when. Hang on. I'm looking. You guys, I was not prepared to talk about this, so apologies. Okay, so Kamani did this like back in the day. (laughs) I don't know. 2014. I mean, a long time ago, you guys. So in romance years, that's a generation ago. So it's called Winter Sage Weddings, and there are three best friends. It's always threes. It's like Nora Roberts, right? Always threes. Nora does a lot of friends, too. Uh, They have like a event planning agency or like a wedding. I don't think it's weddings. I think it's just like events in general. And one of them does flowers, and one of them does... I don't know. I can't remember. But it's like there are three of them. Farrah wrote the Christmas one, which is called A Mistletoe Affair. It looks like um, the first one is called Falling Into Forever, which is Phyllis Bourne. So Farrah wrote book three and it's brother's best friend. And then the first one is um, falling into forever. And maybe she's a formal wear, like maybe she designs dresses. And then there's a florist who I think was written by A.C. Arthur. And that's called Eve of Passion. I don't think I've read that one, Um, but I'm buying it now. (laughs) So essentially, like it's three best friends. They live in this like wealthy suburb of Boston and they have this like posh event planning company and they all meet. They all like the mistletoe, a mistletoe affair, which is Ferris Christmas book is brother's best friend. And she gets a makeover. It has all the like things that I love. She gets a makeover and goes to a wedding, possibly one of the other heroines weddings. You guys, I did not prep. Um, And she and she sees her best friend's. Bro- yeah, it must be because she sees her best friend's brother and he's like 
Yowza. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> and she, and she's had this like kick-ass makeover and now she's like sexy mexi. <laughs> like um I don't know. I think and her name is Vicky. Um and it's just it's still it's exactly what you want. Like she gets a makeover, he's like, oh my God, you know, yowza. And then she um and then she's like, oh, my God, he noticed me. And she's sort of had a thing for him forever. So it's just very cute, Christmassy, like perfect Christmas novel. I love that. No, that's great. That would be really I want to do something like that. Maybe Avon, Ava, Avon, let me and Sophie Jordan and like Joanna Shoup do a like here are three books that are connected in some way. Yeah, I love those. I think they're so fun. Sophie and Joanna are like, what? (laughs) What'd you sign us up for? Um, One of the things that I think is interesting about that, right, is so like if we're starting off with like the the small protection of like, don't mess with my friend. Yeah. I want to talk about one of the ways I think women in women friends like disrupt the patriarchy, though, can also like escalate to actual physical protection. Mm. And then I think the ultimate would be Jane Doe. (gasps) Yes. I'm going to talk about this, like the escalation, right? So it's like, I'm going to say don't hurt her. But then what if that hurt happens? So much of romance wants to remove class issues. We're just going to marry somebody rich. Great. But then I'm always curious about if they're using that money to like help their friends. Which can be really tricky, but in a book called, um, in the Everything I Left Unsaid series by Molly O'Keefe, M. O'Keefe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the end of the third book, which is called Burn Down the Night. So Tiffany is in book four. In book three, it's Ju- June. Oh my God. What These first person effing blurbs where people are like, I did this. I'm like, yes, but what's your name? And then the first two books actually were a duology and famously the first the only time I've ever actually read the second book. So these the the first book starts with these three women making friends living together in a trailer park. And at the end of book three, Tiffany comes back and she she has kids. Her husband was abusive. He was like knocking her around. And she is basically like, I got to I got to run. And she goes to the heroine of book one, who is now like this very wealthy woman and is basically like, I need help. And I think I think all the time about how hard it must be to have a desperate need for money and then have a friend who has all the money in the world and you still cannot only in the most desperate moment. Could you be like, I need your help? We talk about like class differences. We talked about it with Tessa Bailey between like a romantic pairing. But like this is a book that really almost explores it among friends. And it's not like a huge part of the book, but it's like this moment for Tiffany where we understand that she is literally like I am lowering myself so much to show this weakness to my friend. I don't know. It's like a it's a really memorable, powerful moment in this book where she's just like, I just want to take care of my kids and I can't do it. It almost like brings me to tears. And I think that one of the ways then that like women and friendship disrupt the patriarchy is by like caring for each other, like being that like last resort in a way that doesn't exist. Right. Like this is like the only safe place I can come to. 
Well, this is why abusive relationships almost always peel a person away from all of their friends. Because there is a sense that if you cannot trust another person, like if there is no one for you to turn to, then you'll never leave. Then you'll never leave. Yeah. And I mean, that's Jane Doe, right? Yeah. So in and Jane Doe, I was thinking we could end with maybe Jane Doe, which is Dixie Chicks Goodbye Earl fanfic. Victoria Helen Stone, who is Victoria Victoria Doll, right? Yes. Who I just the other day thought about and was like, why have we not ever talked about Victoria Doll? So we need to have a. I think she might be on my books that blooded me list. So oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, she is. I think late late edition. <laughs> yeah, like she's amazing. But this book is a, a tour de force, and we're ending with it. I don't. If there, you know what we talked earlier about, like in a romance that friendship is sort of secondary. And in this book, the memory of this friendship is primary because Jane Doe is about a woman whose best friend was essentially driven to suicide by a very manipulative man. And she herself, she self-identifies as a sociopath, is like, luckily for me, I do. I'm lacking the (laughs) internal um, like levers that would keep me from killing this motherfucker myself. I love that. And it is a book about her, like her determination and her actions and her slow, methodical take takedown of him. And it is unbelievable it's really delicious it is a great read it is a great read in one sitting i was read it in half a sitting and then had to get in a car and drive somewhere and downloaded the effing audiobook because i was (laughs) like i need to drive for hours and i must keep reading yes i mean it's it's great And it is, you know, I do think, I mean, this is sort of a grim place to end, actually, because, (laughs) but I do think, I mean, I joked about Dixie Chicks earlier, but like, I think about that song all the time and how like, it's like the two of them, she, the girl, the woman in the abusive relationship going to her best friend and saying like, I need help. And then like figuring out a way that they can kill him. And Jane, Jane calls her like, Jane calls herself a sociopath, but like sometimes you have this moment where you're like, I feel like, I feel like that's a thing that, you know, sometimes you just need a bestie who, who will, who will protect you like that. Even if you're gone. Well, in her, in this case, it's a revenge book. I love a revenge book. You know, it's funny. And I, I might be like garbling this conversation, but I feel like there was a point at which like Mr. Reed's romance and I, Daryl and I were talking and he was like, some, we're really fascinated by like things everyone loves, so like, like, what's a romance everyone loves? Lord of Scoundrels. Like, what's a book everyone loves? The Outsiders. So at one point he's like, what's a, what's a song every woman loves? And I was like, I will survive. Yeah, that's true. I will survive, motherfucker. And it doesn't matter if you have had that experience or not. Your friends have. You fear it. You know it in your soul. And 
It's a friendship anthem. Yes, it is. I, you know, how many times, again, right? I went to Smith. It's a very different kind of experience college-wise. There are no boys. And so, like, what else do you do but go party with your friends and sing Gloria Gaynor at the top of your lungs? But we did. (laughs) I am actually, like, convinced that if I just, like, like, took it out into a park on a summer's day. Every woman would be like, yes, my people. (laughs) I I found you. But I think, but my point is, is like, we don't have to end in this grim place because I Will Survive is like the flip side of that. Because in, in books with strong, powerful friendships, especially among women, I think what it is saying to us is, yes, it's like your identity, but it's also your safety net. You're never really alone. Yeah, it's true. And that's why it's hard for me to read books where women are alone because where where's their safety net? Yeah. I want heroes who are like, I want to hang out with your friends. Yeah. Daryl loves my friends. Aww. So Kelly and I have actually like lived together and apart kind of off and on through our adulthoods. And so when she and her husband like, Well, they lived in California. We lived in California and then like we moved to Chicago. They moved to Michigan for a while and we like saw her again. And he was just like, oh, it's great to see Kelly again. And then like my friend Mindy that I did Teach for America with, like every time we see her, I mean, it's and it means a lot to me because it means that it means he like really understands that part of me. Yes. I mean, love me, love my friends. And that's like, that's the whole ballgame. Like, and you want your friends to love your boyfriend. I mean, my God, how many, how many times have you had a friend who was dating or I mean, not just boyfriend, but like who was dating somebody who was just awful. And you had that moment where you're like, please, God, don't let them end up together. I love Kelly's husband. He's like the nicest guy. (laughs) I do. Like, yeah, I well, I mean, like, and that's what you, that's the goal. You're decent. Per, you're like wonderful person ends up with another person who is also wonderful and who loves them as much as you do. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe we did end up on a sad note, but like, no, because we're going to we're going to roll out. Eric's going to be playing. I sur- will survive right now. And it's going to be amazing. <laughs> It'll be fine. Dance party. <laughs> Fate of Mates dance party. Um, anyway, we love our friends. We love you guys. You're our friends, too, even though we don't we don't know all of you, but we feel like we do. We're all a girl gang. I feel like most of you, if I said I need a shovel. Oh, God, yes. You know who would definitely bring me a, sho- a shovel? Linda. <laughs> Linda. <laughs> Linda is, yeah, for sure. Linda. Absolutely. I know. I know you would. <laughs> She's going to tweet at me. <laughs> She's going to get a new pin. It's going to uh-huh. be. <laughs> bring me my shovel. <laughs> Linda, bring me my shovel. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It's so true. Anyway, we love you guys. We love Tell you all. Tell us your favorite books with uh, friends in them, female friendships. And next week, we're going to talk about men who hang out together and have uh, have weird names. <laughs> anyway, uh, next week is Devil's Bride by Stephanie Lawrence. Get ready. The queen of the 30-page sex scene. Um, the inventor of the 30-page sex scene. Um, and we can't wait to talk about it. Jen, would you... Oh, here. You can leave us a voicemail. I got the number. I found the number. I cleaned my <laughs> office. The number is 646-450-3766. We love your voices in our ear holes. 
You can buy buttons and pins from Best Friend Kelly, who makes amazing stuff, and there's a bunch of really funny new ones. Including um, <laughs> Live Every Week Like It's Rune Week, which is awesome. And Danger Bang! And Danger Bang. <laughs> which I was like, hello. There's a Gen Pack. There is no Sarah Pack. She's working on it, trust pack. me. It's, I don't know. I don't know that I've said enough things. Put it in my veins. <laughs> I was like, trust me, Sarah, it's coming. <laughs> um, that's at uh, www.jenreadsromance.com. And then, Sarah, you have uh, all new yeah, stuff, the right? full line of Sarah McLean romance. Jordan Denae clothing is is ready. There's still a Faded Mate shirt to come, but the rest of it is ready. You can find it as at www.jordandene.com. Look at what a nice job we're doing. And you know what? Don't forget to go to your local wine shop and buy some pandemic, pandemic wine. wine. <laughs> All right. But for real, everybody, wash your hands. Don't touch your face holes and don't panic. No, it's exactly. all going to be fine. Jen and I actually have a pandemic plan in case it all goes down. So stay tuned. All right. Uh, I will survive, everybody. Have a good one. This is Rachel B, and I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I started reading romance, like proper romance, when I was 22, and uh, had just returned from a study abroad in England, where I had visited Scotland and had completely fallen in love and was just heart-wrenched that I would not marry any longer. Um, And that's actually what got me into reading romance, was I serendipitously had received an email from some author or some publishing house uh, talking about new releases, and they mentioned that Spell of the Highlander by Karen Marie Monning was going into paperback. Um, and as soon as I saw the word Highlander, my ears clicked up, and a nice little chill went down my spine and I immediately went and purchased it from Barnes and Noble or wherever I could. Um, and it was a little bit like my eyes were opening wider and wider and wider like that really horrifying Black Hole Sun video from the nineties. Um, just reading through that and like experiencing, I remember specifically Jesse like licking him back and that, was the end of it. Like that was me in romance for the next five years, reading five books a week, even while I was in the middle of law school um, and having professors think that I was absolutely insane. Um, But it was something that sort of changed my life in terms of my reading habits, Um, brought me back to reading after college, certainly. Um, And it was just something that I can even still picture in my mind the moment that I opened that email and saw Spell of the Highlander and saw the cover of the book and immediately knew that it was something that I had to have. Um, And I was obsessed with romance ever since. Thanks so much. Bye.